This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Show podcast. Today on the pod, snow shuts down Metro Vancouver. Join us for the latest in traffic and weather. Plus, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke joins us saying the Surrey Police Service ran a $26 million deficit and she won't be approving any more hires. Plus, the mayor tells residents to get ready for a double-digit property tax increase thanks to the police transition for 2024. Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says don't buy it. The Surrey police transition will continue. He joins us as well. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Show podcast. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke is pushing back on her critics who say she and her council colleagues were refusing to pay new recruits, new recruits to the city's municipal police force. Locke has said that 10 officers the Surrey Police Service hired in December were neither approved nor budget, budgeted for and that the SPS is operating a, a massive deficit. Joining me now to discuss the issue is Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke. Mayor Locke, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jeff. It's great to be on your show. Uh, I know uh, snow is uh, the issue of the day, but uh, one issue that hasn't gone away, of course, is the Surrey policing situation. Now, uh, you were saying uh, that uh, the Surrey Police Service uh, has hired police officers and has ran up a $26 million deficit for 2023. How did that happen in your mind? Well, um, of course, we have been... uh asking the Surrey Police Service since um, August to uh, curtail their hiring, that they needed to stop hiring. They were over budget, and they have a number of people that are sitting in what they call the uh, the engine, that's uh, what Mr. Lipinski refers to them as, that need to be deployed. And uh, so we said, you know what? We don't have a plan. You need to get us a plan and... Uh, then let's talk about uh, what we're going to do with HR. But right now, we're also before the courts. So you can only imagine the city of Surrey wants to see what the courts have to say before we continue down this road of spending money. What do you say to the argument that critics make is, look, uh, the city hall uh, made a decision to stop the transition and stay with the RCMP. And as you say, there is a court case going on. But when the provincial government legislated that the transition to the SPS must continue, to my understanding, the SPS did send in a revised budget to City Hall, uh, but the, you and the council have not dealt with that. So the issue of, of an actual deficit uh, is not a real one. Oh, that, that's just not truthful. So in um, 2023, the SPS were given a budget of $48.8 million dollars. That's what they were given for 2023, period, full stop, just like any other department. They get, uh, we do our budgets at the earliest part of the year, and that's the budget for the year. Um, So that's where that ends. They did, however, give us a budget in November, but that's for the 2024 year, and we can look at that then. But I come back to this point. We don't have a plan. So for them to just aimlessly uh, going ahead and hiring is, uh, first of all, it's, it's, uh, 
irresponsible. But they're asking they're asking the city council and the city to basically buy what they're selling sight unseen. We have no plan. We don't know what they're selling. And so, uh, no, we're not going to just give them a budget in 2024 when we don't know what the plan is. Now, we will be working on plans moving forward. We will be working on our budget, just like with every other department in the coming months. But that hasn't been decided. Uh, your council colleague, Linda Annis, made the assertion that the RCMP had a positive variance of $27 million, while the SPS had a negative variance of $23 million. So essentially, as the SPS budget grows, the budget for the RCMP slowly is reduced, and there should be essentially a balance there. You're saying that's just not happening whatsoever? The SPS is given a budget for the SPS. The RCMP are given the budget that they get under the contract, and they are completely different. It isn't, you don't swap budgets out. You wouldn't swap engineering budget out for parks. You just don't do that. They are expected to stay within their budget. I expect them to stay within their budget. And I think what is happening is exactly what we've been saying we're concerned about. They don't have the ability to um, to maintain a budget when they don't have a plan, and and I and I want to say this, Jazz, it's you know this transition is much much more than simply hiring a bunch of officers. They think that's all they have to do is just go out, hire, hire, hire. They become the POJ, and um, they are de facto the police. That doesn't uh, that doesn't cut it. There are lots of steps along the way that they have to do, they are not doing. We need to see the plan. We need to see how they're going to manage the asset transfers, the exhibit transfers. We don't know how they're going to deal with IT yet. We don't know how they're going to do the file transfers. We don't know how they're going to deal with the two-man car issue. They haven't told us anything around their plan. So uh, absolutely not. But I... I um, you know, I know that uh, Councillor Annis has had a lot of statements to make around the whole issue around financing, and uh, it's uh, maybe she should pay a little more attention when we're in uh, in council chambers and talking about the financing. It would probably help her a lot. Uh, in regards to those ten officers that were hired, and the city says we didn't approve the budget, we're not paying for it. Uh, is this the stance that the city has taken that's going to remain? Because right now, to our understanding, the public's understanding, is the union is paying uh, those 10 officers' salaries. You're saying that the city will continue with the stance that they've chosen at this point not to pay those 10 officers? Well, you know, the city uh, told the, um, the SPS not to hire. I told them in August. They were told again in, in uh, December. I met and uh, Councillor Stutt met with uh, Mr. Sir at the very beginning of December. He never raised this with us then. He never raised anything, in fact, about the 2023 budget. He did talk about the 2024 budget, to which we said, you do understand we have a petition before the courts, and so we're not going to talk about anything with regard to that next budget. So... Um, Perhaps Mr. Sir should have been a little more forthright, but I, I tell you, I'm, I'm reading the uh, statement that he's saying that uh, 
he wants to come before council, and, I, and I'm going to say to him, we would love to have you come before council, Mr. Sir. You come before us at open council and you be transparent. We'll ask you the questions we have for you, and you can share it with everybody, with council, with the public, and let everybody know exactly where where you are with the plan, with your ability to uh, move forward, provide a path forward, where you are with your ability uh, to um, come close to your budget, and why you went and hired people when you were told not to. You, at this point, you and your council, the city, uh, are running a campaign in regards to this policing transition uh, directed at the NDP. I think you call it the NDP Surrey tax or the the public campaign. Um, Do you think this is the right way to go uh, when it comes to finding a solution to this uh, very acrimonious situation? Perhaps you shouldn't be putting out, uh, um, you know, polling. Perhaps there shouldn't be a campaign against the provincial government, that it is not set up an environment for a solution to be found. You just end up continuing to fight. Do you think this is the right way for the city to go? Well, you know, we have uh, been trying to talk, certainly I have been trying to talk to uh, the minister, uh, to no avail, to the premier, to no avail. Um, And uh, that hasn't got us very far. But I will tell you also this, Jazz, it's important to know that all the promises, all the rhetoric that was was being passed around by McCallum and his crew way back when, way back almost five years ago, is proving out to be completely and utterly false. The fact that this was not going to cost the citizens of Surrey any more money, we know is in fact not true. So it is crucial for me as an elected official to let the public know the cost. This is going to cost our citizens dearly. And it's important that we know, that they know, that their taxes are going to go up because they need to uh, be aware of what has happened. And I, I, um, I understand that people uh, see this differently. I understand that people... Um, see this as a fight. But the fact is, we care about our taxpayers. We care about our citizens in this city, and we need to let them know. And so we're going to tell them exactly what is happening with this imposed, um, this imposed police force on the citizens of Surrey. And remember, the numbers were very clear even in this uh, last poll. The residents of Surrey do not want to pay for this Surrey police service. They don't want to. They didn't want to before. There are still signs on lawns. There are still flags on cars. And so uh, we said we were going to um, stay with the RCMP. We'll see uh, what the courts have to say, but I'm not going to try and preempt that. But I certainly do need to let the public know that this is a great cost to our city. Uh, Brenda, there is a property tax increase coming. How much of the property, what, what type of property at tax increase do you think Surrey residents will see or should expect uh, because of this policing transition? So that, and, and therein lies the challenge for us, Jeff. We have to do two, uh, basically two different 
scenarios, one with the SPS and one with staying with contract policing through the RCMP. And I can tell you the delta between, the difference between those two, uh, those two taxes are going to be significant. Uh, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, um, but we will, and we will have our, our tax um, notices out for everyone just right on time, and, and we will be working on that over the next couple of months. Is it fair to say that Surrey residents should expect a double-digit property tax increase for this year? Uh, with the SPS, absolutely they will. Absolutely. If, we're, if we are forced to um, have the Surrey Police Service stay, then absolutely it will be a double digit. There's no doubt about that. Um, how high that will be, I can't tell you yet. But so minimum 10%, if, if, uh, if you're saying if the transition continues... No, it'll be, it'll be more than 10. We know that. Higher than, higher than 14 or 16, somewhere in that range? I can't tell you exactly, Jeff, but but I'm I think you're probably closer to that this year, and but, then next year it'll go up again. Well, I, mean, I don't know how you can. I mean, I've never. I mean, Vancouver's had to do this once, but not that high. But fourteen to sixteen percent property tax increase. I'm, I and you're saying I might be close. Okay, that's fine. But that is. I, I can't even fathom that. I mean, putting that on, on, on a property tax notice and mailing that out to Surrey residents, right. 14 to 16%. Uh, it, it's gut-wrenching for me, Jeff. I, and that is why I care about our taxpayers. That is why I will make sure that they understand the cost. And, you know, right in the, um, right in the document that came from uh, the Director of Police Services, very clear. It's thirty million dollars. We know minimum, minimum, thirty million dollars more. So, for Surrey, that's a significant amount of money. That's a significant amount of money for us to um, ask our taxpayers to uh, to pay. And so, the option is, we have to look at other things. Do, do we increase taxes or do we cut services and amenities? And I don't want to do either. I don't want to. So we want to uh, stay with a, a tax ratio that is uh, reasonable, that the public hope can, can support. But with this transition, that is not possible. Brenda, thank you for your time today. Uh, I'm going to assume you made it into work. I did make it into work. I have a four-wheel drive, so I'm lucky. Right. Well, be safe. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeff. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. But getting people out and about, especially on transit, is a huge challenge on a day like today. Joining me now to talk about what is happening this hour on TransLink is TransLink spokesperson Dan Mountain. Dan, welcome. 
Hi, Jazz. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm inside. I'm dry. And uh, I was uh, walking into work today, uh, and I saw folks lining up for the bus, and uh, everything was orderly, and it's great. But do want to get an update from you uh, for this afternoon. How are things looking right now? Of course, yeah. Um, our crews have been out there working uh, really hard throughout the day to keep as much service out there as possible. Uh, we've gotten a lot of compliments on our SkyTrain service, which has been moving people with pretty much normal service all day long. Coming into the evening rush, customers can expect SkyTrain service to remain pretty much normal, uh, slightly lower frequencies than an average day, but trains will come about every three to four minutes on average with some variations depending on which line you're taking or what station you're boarding from. Mm-hmm. Uh, extra staff are on hand at the front of each train and uh, on platform on some platforms clearing train doors with hockey sticks to prevent ice from building up on the doors. And just to uh, confirm, we've also been running, oh, sorry, sorry yeah. I didn't mean to uh, cut you off there, but you, so you have anti-icing trains that are deployed uh, sort of in between some of these uh, when, when you're picking up customers as well? Yeah, we sure do. So basically, it's like a regular SkyTrain, but it sprays uh, anti-icing fluid on the power rail. That's really to prevent ice from building up in the power rail to make sure that the train can maintain an electrical connection with um, with the power, if that makes sense. How often do you do that? So uh, pretty much any time the temperatures go below zero, we run them pretty frequently. We've got a couple trains out there running on uh, on each line, if that makes sense. So it, it really helps to prevent ice from building up. Of course, it can sometimes build up in between those anti-icing trains, but... Mm. It does a good job uh, where it can. All right. And in regards to uh, buses, how are things looking? Yeah, so for bus service, it is a bit of a a different story, and it's been a challenging situation on the roads out there, and it's a rapidly uh, changing situation still. So the morning rush went okay overall, uh, but road conditions have deteriorated rapidly since this morning, and some roads are not in uh, in good conditions for buses. Uh, This has unfortunately led to the cancellation of about eight routes in the Tri-Cities area uh, until road conditions improve. This was not a decision we made lightly, but um, cause, because we know how much people are depending on us. But for the time being, it was, it was a decision that had to be made because every car and every bus was getting stuck uh, on those roads and in that area. So until road conditions improve, uh, there are about eight routes that are canceled in the Tri-Cities area. Um, all other routes throughout the system besides those eight are continuing to run. However, some routes and higher elevations, they might turn around early if there are blockages in traffic or uh, heavily tre- treacherous conditions. We've switched out every 60-foot articulated bus for 40-foot buses, which mm-hmm. means that uh, some routes that typically run with those articulated buses might have slightly lower um, capacity. But really the best advice that I can give you mm-hmm. is that we have hundreds of buses out there. It's changing by the minute. So uh, the best thing you can do is check your route on our trip platter. Uh, uh, sorry, check our, your route on our transit alerts page. Follow us on uh, social media, the platform X. And call our customer information line at 604-953-3333 for specific information about your route. And just to clarify, you were mentioning the, uh, the road conditions in Tri-Cities has led to um, uh, the, some challenges in regards to bus routes. So the ones that aren't operational, I just want to confirm for our listeners, is the 181, 182, 183 bus, 184, 185, 186, 187. So 181 to 187 plus the 191 uh, just That's to confirm, correct. is not running. So, uh, and in regards to the C bus and and West Coast Express, any changes there? C bus and West Coast Express are running regular service, and I should mention Handy Dart is running out there, but it's prioritizing customers that have um, medical appointments, school, or work. Okay, uh, and and generally, when people want an alert, or sometimes they go online to check to see how their routes are doing. I, my, I, mean, I could be wrong here. Was the page down temporarily earlier today? No, Transit Alerts is up. Um, okay. The next bus tech service 
was down temporarily. So that's uh, the, the tech service at bus stops where you can test text a number to know when your next bus is coming. Mm -hmm. So the Transit Alerts page is up, and I encourage people to sign up for Transit Alerts. You can get uh, customized Transit Alerts texted or emailed to you in real time. That is excellent. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Let's revisit one of our top stories. I know snow uh, and the region's response to it is the story uh, of the day, but uh, one of the other stories, of course, that has uh, is an ongoing saga is, of course, the policing situation in Surrey. We had Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke join us at 4 o'clock where she pushed back on her critics who say she's refusing to pay new recruits uh, to the city's municipal police force. Ms. Locke says the 10 officers in the Surrey Police Service that were hired in December were not approved or budgeted for, uh, and she says that the uh, Surrey police services operating a massive deficit at this point uh the sps union is paying those 10 officers joining me now to talk a little bit about the surrey police transition is mike farnworth bc's minister of public safety and solicitor general minister thank you for joining us today my pleasure uh, I think the f- obvious question, the first question here is, uh, how do you view this in regards to Surrey, uh, the city of Surrey not paying the salaries of these 10 recruits and the union uh, being forced to compensate these uh, officers? I think it's absolutely outrageous. I think it's vindictive. I think it's punitive. Um, if the, uh, the mayor wants to criticize me and my decision, fine. But you don't take it out on, uh, on, on, on recruits, uh, police officers, who want to want to do a job, want to serve their community, uh, a dangerous job, uh, and say, oh, we're not going to pay them, uh, particularly at a time when communities right across the country are trying to get uh, police police recruits. You would think the, uh, the mayor would want to welcome them, uh, not make their life difficult. Uh, do you, how much, um, how do I say this, do you believe the city is, uh, the, or the SPS uh, has a deficit and that they're massively over budget? No, what I know has happened is, is the city only funded the SPC, the SPS for six months. And they did that on the basis of their, they, their expectation was that uh, they would be transitioning back uh, to the RCMP. And within six months, the Surrey Police Service would be gone. Uh, and at the time, that's not realistic. Uh, I made a decision uh, that said, no, that uh, they must continue with the, uh, the, the transition to the Surrey Police Service. Um, they had an opportunity at that point to have adjusted their city's budget uh, from uh, $49 million to I think it would probably would have been somewhere around $75 million. Um, in October, I made changes to the Police Act that made it a matter of law that the city of Surrey must be policed by the Surrey Police Service, and they've got to complete that transition. Again, they should have recognized that, that they would need to adjust their budget. Um, in December, um, the the director, uh, the, Sur- the Surrey Police Board, um, applied to the director of policing uh, under a section of the Act, Section 27 of the Police Act, uh, ha- which allows for a review um, by my director of police services, an independent review in determining, uh, you know, the state of the budget. The director of police services has asked the city and the Surrey Police Service to provide their submissions by January 28th, and they'll make a decision on that. But the bottom line is this, um, the idea that you only fund police for six months 
um, even if you want to go back, is just is just nonsense. It's it's under budgeting, and then to come out and say at the end of you know uh, in, uh, in in January, oh, they're massively overspending. No, you massively shortchanged the budget. Is what you did. Uh, and the argument that um, the city makes that the, the SPS is just far more expensive, thirty million a year. Um, is there? Do you first of all do you buy those numbers? Number one and number two is there a way to deal with that? Well, that's why we put the $150 million on the table. That $150 million has been communicated again and again and again, both in writing to the city and publicly in the media on this show and other, uh, that that money is there to assist with the, uh, with the, the transition. Uh, and that, that $30 million number is based on numbers that the city of Surrey itself provided us. Uh, so, you know, that's a, a significant contribution to assist with the, the, the transition. Uh, is this a case of, in your mind, ragging the puck until this ends up in court and they get a court date by the city itself? That's uh, the only thing that I can think of, is that this is literally a case of ragging the puck, uh, trying to put up obstacle after obstacle. And the reality is, is uh, the decision was made, the decision was final, it's in law, and the city needs to get its head out of the sand and recognize that uh, the transition is a legal requirement by the province of British Columbia uh, to move to the Surrey Police Service and that they need to get on with it. Uh, as you and I have this conversation, there is also a public relations campaign launched by the city. I think the budget is about a half a million dollars. Uh, they've already put up a billboard. There have been mail-outs to uh, Surrey taxpayers. Um, we have the mayor on this show already saying that you expect a double-digit property tax increase because of this transition to the SPS. Um, and already uh, in those mailouts, they're referring to that as the NDP Surrey tax. Uh, this clearly speaks to the city going a certain route, uh, completely opposite of what you have directed them to do so. Where do we go from here in regards to finding a solution, Minister? Well, the solution is for the city of Surrey to follow the law of the province of British Columbia. Uh, the director of police services has all the powers needed in terms of ensuring that the transition uh, will continue. Um, I, you know, I, I do find it fascinating that the city of Surrey thinks, oh, we can spend money on advertising and flyers and billboards and high-priced consultants to tell us what to do, but they don't want to pay hardworking men and women who want nothing more than to serve the community that many of them grew up in and be a police officer uh, uh, helping to keep uh, the city of Surrey a, a safe community. Uh, that, to me, is a disservice to the citizens of Surrey who wanted a decision made, a decision's been made, and now I think the vast majority of them just want this over and done with. Uh, and as you said, you've made a decision. Most people want this over and done with, but it isn't over and done with. What powers do you have to just say, you know, enough's enough. I'm going to bring down the hammer. We're going to take over in Surrey. First, A, can you as minister and through your staff take over the budgeting and the transition? Or, or will you still be very patient at the end of the day? Those are my words, not yours. Patient and allow this to continue for more weeks or months in regards to this issue. The Surrey has filed their, their, their court case for the judicial review. That's their, uh, that's their right to do so. That will play itself out. At the same time, the, uh, the province will continue uh, to drive forward and work with the, uh, the federal government or the federal RCMP uh, on, on getting the changes and the things that need to happen uh, in place. That moves forward. 
Uh, I'm not surprised that the Surrey has been, you know, throwing up obstacles. It's something that was anticipated, and and we just we just work through them and we go through them, and that's what we'll continue to do. The Act gives the uh, the, the Director of Police Service is significant powers when it comes to uh, budgeting to ensure that we've got safe and effective policing in the community of Surrey, regardless of what the city of Surrey uh, wants to uh, do or, or not do uh, in terms of, of its budget. And so I'm confident that the, uh, the powers and the tools that the province needs are there. Uh, the work continues. We've got uh, a very capable um, um, administrator in terms of the police board. Uh, we've got a special advisor, Jessica McDonald, who's working hard on this. And we're working uh, with the RCMP, the Surrey Police Service, uh, to get this done. Uh, and we will do that. So just to confirm, uh, if this if the city continues with its uh, stance when, and continues, uh, some would argue, to block this transition from the RCMP to a new municipal police force, your director of police services has the power to say this is the direction we're going in. You will find the m- money in your budget and you will fund this transition, whether Ms. Locke or the council doesn't like it. What I'm saying is, is that the Director of Police Services has the powers and the tools necessary to ensure the transition will continue, and it will continue, and it will get done. Uh, the city of Surrey, as I said, needs to get its head out of the sand and realize the law of the province is the law of the province. And it is very clear. Uh, the law uh, specifically states that uh, Surrey will be policed by the Surrey Police Service. Well, that's about as definitive as one can be. Minister, uh, on a snowy day like today, I really appreciate you making time for us. I hope you, I don't know if you're working from home today or whether uh, you went into the office. A couple of things. Uh, I have been working from home, but I did have to go out. uh, And, uh, you know, I would say most people uh, drove responsibly, but it still uh, surprises me uh, that there are those out there who think that they can still drive at whatever speed they want. I guess... I don't know. I guess you call them snow runs. Um, <laughs> That's a new word. I think you just came up with a new one. <laughs> snow runs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but m- most people were driving. There wasn't a lot of traffic, uh, and the uh, the plows were out, uh, and uh, roads were being sanded. And I know when I came back, I was seeing improvements, and let's just hope the weather improves. So There you go. Minister, uh, as always, thanks for your time. I got to tell you that uh, an interview with uh, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth uh, was quite interesting. He came out swinging. He's not putting up with any of that nonsense from Surrey. Basically said his director of police services has the power needed to take over in Surrey if the city continues to block the transition from the RCMP to a new municipal police force. So talk about two sides, um, you know, sticking to their side. Lines in the sand. No one's moving on that one. That's for sure. But as the minister said, he's working from home, but he did go out a couple times today. And uh, most people are doing a very good job of driving safely, uh, you know, leaving a bit of distance between themselves and, and other drivers. But there were some folks still driving too quickly. And uh, he, I think he invented a new word. At least I didn't hear, uh, hear of it. I'm joined by a show contributor, um, Jeremy Judson, and our technical producer, Talia Miller, uh, with their Alberta and Ontario perspective to our driving. But the minister uh, referred to those people who do not drive with care during uh, this winter storm as snowrons. Jerry, have you heard of that term before? I never heard of that term before, but that is a very good safe for the airwaves word. The minister, before. I tell you, the minister came out swinging. I thought, okay, I understand the anger at Surrey Council, but man, snowrons. 
I did like the word, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Put a smile on my face. I was impressed. Now, you know, look, uh, this is sort of one of those things that my hobby horse in regards to not being prepared. But, uh, Jerry, you're from Alberta. You grew up in Alberta. Uh, Talia, you grew up in London, Ontario. Uh, let me start with you first, Talia. Your thoughts just on what you've been seeing in the last 24 hours. I mean, literally 20 centimeters of snow. And in some pockets, as you go further east into the valley, maybe 25, 30 centimeters, that's a foot of snow max. Um, your thoughts? <laughs> Just. I mean, it's a lot for the area. I get it. But I felt right at home walking out of the snow today. I felt like I was like commuting to school almost with my backpack and everything. So it, it felt like winter in Canada. Absolutely did. If you know, if this was in London, you would be, everything would still be open. You just might be a little late getting to work or getting to school. Nothing would have been shut down or closed for any reason. Were you the first time when you moved here? When you find out found out that we actually do this kind of stuff, where mm-hmm. we shut down our universities, K to twelve, everything, and parents are forced. What was the first reaction when you first found out about it? I was like, I grew up in the wrong place. I would have loved to have that many <laughs> snow days because it was only. I remember one time, Jazz. I think I was in the eighth or seventh grade. We had three snow days back to back. And that was only because it actually physically was taller than me at that point. The snow was taller than you. Yes. So like you couldn't physically clear the roads or clear the sidewalks properly and safely. It took them a couple of days to do that. So that we had three snow days and me and my brother were ecstatic while my mother was like, I was really excited to get them back into school because it was just after the so winter the, break. The snow was higher than you? What are you, mm-hmm. about five, three, five, like, four? Like five, six now. Five, but like six, I prob- okay. Or, yeah, five, six. Five, six. And the snow was, mm-hmm. wow. Have you ever had one of those, Jerry? Those days where the snow is actually higher than you No, are. that seems like an Ontario thing. Yeah. I, it's a I'm, Southern Ontario thing. Specialty. Yeah. And and but you got booted but booted out of the house and I, and I say that politely and you go to school I don't care how cold it is that kind of that's correct yeah I would uh, I had a trick so I would keep if it was like below minus thirty I would keep the pajama pants on and kind of t- secure them at my ankles and then put on my pants over top because long johns just don't cut it Matt I swear and then you know you walk to school and you bundle up you have your scarf and then the water content of your breath freezes on the outside of your scarf and you're like this is pretty intense yeah or like pulling those icicles off of your eyelashes the with worst. those of us who wear mascara and then having to pull <laughs> the mascara sickles and you're just trying to look cute for like science class or whatever. Awful. Yeah. I, what, I, what I did like about today, I got to beyond just uh, the challenges to the region. Uh, you two went with our colleague, uh, Layla Cotter, who Layla uh, grew up in Syria uh, and is just now a Canadian citizen, just recently got her, uh, officially got the call. But you guys took some time off. Uh, and by time off, I mean, you left this, I think it was early after. We appropriated our lunch break for better better purposes. Absolutely. You guys, where did you go? Did you go to the art gallery? Mm-hmm. And you guys made a snowman. We made a snowman. It was Layla's first snowman that she'd ever made. There was, a, and we were talking to her off the air and we said like, this is which wasn't a thing that people did in Syria. Just not, it's not done. They didn't make, she'd never seen anyone make a snowman. So we gave her the tutorial, gave her the step-by-step. The first you have to make a little snowball and munch it together. And then you put it on the ground yes. and then you make the snowball. So it was a team effort. I made the, the lower third and then Talia made the middle third and Layla made the head. And it was a very cool occasion. You can see it from the window of the control room. It's still standing strong. And now it has a friend. I just love the way Layla was explaining it. Like you just gave, 
gave her uh, the, the 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 secret sauce. We gave her the secret yeah, sauce, the secret someone, snowman like somebody, sauce. Like the light just the light went on, and she just went, "Whoa, that's how you do the snowman thing." <laughs> right, it was so good. It was so cute. When I was listening to her, I go, "Wow!" And in, and I guess in Aleppo, where she grew up, they do have snow, but. A snowman, they don't do snow snowman there for whatever reason. It was so fun seeing her face light up and seeing her like roll the <laughs> snowball and she's like, I'm doing it. It was it was honestly a fantastic experience. I did just check out the window. Our guy's still there. He's got a friend, which is kind of cute. Yeah, people have been making snowmen at the art gallery. Mm-hmm. I saw it this morning I was coming in, so snowmen, snow-, snow angels, snowballs I, we saw people. are being thrown. <laughs> I was when I was walking in, I, uh, I, the Lululemon was quiet. And that doesn't happen in Vancouver. That doesn't happen in Vancouver. You know, (laughs) you know, if uh, Chip Wilson's 8% is not increasing by one single dollar, that means Vancouver is dead. There you go, Jerry. Talia, thank you. Thank you. We've spent a lot of time, of course, uh, focusing on the closures today, focusing on the uh, afternoon commute. Uh, but the weather uh, changes almost, almost on an hourly basis. Joining me now to talk a little bit about what we can expect uh, overnight and, of, of course, for tomorrow morning's commute. Joining me now is Christy Gordon, Senior Meteorologist over at Global BC. Christy, welcome. Thank you so much, Jess. I know you've had a very busy 24 hours or so. Um, what are you seeing for the evening and, and early morning hours f- for tomorrow? Well, it's really ice that's a big concern tonight. Temperatures are going to drop to minus four in Metro Vancouver. So anywhere that has uh, had a little bit of melting at all this afternoon really will be quite icy. So that sidewalks, roads, and we'll see that right into the morning hours. And then tomorrow afternoon, so it'll be a tough go on the on the roads in the morning, but not nearly as bad as sort of what we saw today. Hopefully the crews can get out there overnight. But what I'm concerned about is the commute home. If everyone heads to work tomorrow and then the commute home has the potential of bringing snowfall. Now, it's not going to be like what we saw today, but we could see anywhere from one to four or five centimeters of snow right during that mm-hmm. afternoon commute. And then it also comes with a risk of freezing rain. So although I know a lot of people probably don't want to stay home from work for a second day, but I I really think that it should be avoided uh, sort of non-essential travel at least tomorrow afternoon because, um, you know, it doesn't take much to cause uh, some major problems on the road. Mm -hmm. And I think people were warned, a lot of them obviously stayed home today. The commute has been uh, pretty good this afternoon for that reason. Less cars on the road, a better chance Mm -hmm. of no accident, which accidents has been very good. Did anything uh, about, I know you had warned folks uh, on on the show yesterday and you've been uh, through your broadcast as well. Uh, Was anything today that surprised you? Well, certainly, we the snowfall totals were um, more substantial than we had forecasted. We had forecasted up to 25 centimeters, and we saw up to 39 in through the Fraser Valley. And, you know, the possibility was certainly there in some of the models uh, because we knew the Arctic air was entrenched. We knew that Pacific system was going to bring in the moisture that can really give a huge jump. But it's always tough because in the afternoon, will it warm up? And all it takes is a little bit of moisture content in that snow to really pack it down and you don't get those high totals uh, that we saw today. But that really didn't happen. For the most part, it stayed cold enough that it stayed as snow. And then that just sort of continued throughout the day and we got those numbers. Uh, and that was, that's really what made it tough for the crews to continue to keep up. I know that I shoveled my walkway in the morning and then I had to shovel it again sort of midday. Uh, when we get that type of scenario, it's, um, 
it's really tough to keep up. And yeah, those numbers were really high because of how cold it stayed throughout the day. And for our listeners uh, in, on southern Vancouver Island, whether it be in Victoria, all the way up to Nanaimo, uh, are things going to be a little bit easier for them tomorrow? Yes, um, although I am expecting snowfall in the afternoon for those areas as well. They'll likely see it earlier than us, so potentially as early as late morning into the afternoon hours. But the the potential is there for snowfall across that region also with a risk of freezing rain. So they're in a similar situation to us tomorrow. And I, I want to make it well known to everyone that Tomorrow's forecast is really not a slam dunk, kind of like what we saw this with this last snowstorm, because this system is going to bring in milder air. But the computer models are really showing, similar to what we saw today, that that Arctic outflow will continue to win, keeping it cold enough. Um, so we're really giving everyone that worst case scenario that the afternoon commute isn't going to be great, but uh, tomorrow's forecast certainly is a little uncertain. So tune in tomorrow with Mark. He'll have more details and a better idea as to what we're expecting. So if we get through Thursday, uh, it'll hopefully be by Friday. Hopefully things will be a lot milder. Yes, absolutely. In fact, we're going to see a warm-up through the evening hours, even on Thursday. It looks like by about 8, 9 o'clock at night, um, we're going to see things transition to rain. So if we get that rainfall overnight, Thursday into Friday, yes, I am expecting a majority of this snowfall to wash away. Well, fingers crossed. Christy, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Jazz. for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.